Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Bronson Jones, CEO and owner of Banner Metals Group in Grandview, Ohio. Founded in 1921 as a tool and die company, Banner Metals Group has expanded its offerings to metal stamping, fabrication, welding, CNC machining, laser cutting, and engineering services. Banner Metals manufactures products for industries throughout the world, including aerospace and automotive. Bronson took the helm of this family-owned company four years ago after serving as vice president and general manager for 20 years. Before Banner Metals, he worked at McDonnell Douglas. Early on in his career, he was a tool and die maker for Superior Die Tool and Machine Company. Bronson, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you provide our listeners with a highlight reel from Banner Metal's 97-year history? Well, we originally um, started off as a tool and die company, just building dies, and uh, found that building dies um, uh, was a one-shot thing. It was much better to be involved in the metal stamping side. So we since uh, moved over into the metal stamping. And what was the impetus to change the company's name? I'm assuming that that was the major shift. It was, um, but certainly um, when we shifted from metal stamping to the vertical integration now um, in the stamping side, fabrication, welding, and machining, it was uh, felt a little better that uh, we should rename ourselves a Banner Metals Group because we are a group under one umbrella. I, I noticed in some of the literature that your company prides itself on a real-time business model that adapts to just-in-time delivery. How has that changed how you work with customers? Well, originally, um, you know, that was pretty much uh, a quote and um, um, submit a quote, and then from there you would hope to get the order. Uh, today, um, it's changed a lot. Um, right now, we have to work in, in our customers' real-time space. So we communicate in their time, whether it's uh, uh, a fax, a phone call, a text nowadays. It's all about being connected with your customer and understanding how they work in their time. That's what real time is. In terms of, uh, so moving from a job shop to, uh, that's what I'm, I'm presuming, to that um, that approach, what are the lessons that you've learned during that shift? I mean, are you moving more towards uh, predictive types of, of services? Absolutely. Uh, predictive is definitely something we've we focused on is trying to understand or anticipate uh, what our customers' next needs will be. Um, one of the biggest changes that we've noticed in the last few years is risk management. Um, we're basically trying to protect our customers' brand, and uh, we have to have systems in place that uh, uh, mitigate any type of risk that could occur in our processes and their processes. So anticipating what they need on the next level comes into risk. That's really interesting. Um, so what are some of the other, the other novel approaches that you've been able to implement within this well-established manufacturing company? A lot of uh, when someone hears uh, of a manufacturing company that's been around for as long as as Banner Metals has, they don't really think about uh, that being associated with, with new approaches and processes. Well, just because we're nearing our 100-year anniversary doesn't mean we're just sticking around acting like we're 100 years. We, uh, one of the biggest things that we've done in the last 10 years is, uh, is notice that uh, our customers' demands and requirements have exceeded um, a lot of other suppliers' capabilities. Um, more recently, uh, we've been replacing um, underperforming suppliers um, because some suppliers just cannot keep up with the 
new customer demands and challenges. They're either not willing to support it or uh, just don't can't make a good business case. So the business comes to us uh, because we have systems in place, uh, current systems, uh, to help offset our customers' um, poor performing suppliers. Do you have an example? I mean, what would be some of the, the systems that uh, you would be looking at <coughs> to change? Well, the, the systems we have in place are obviously um, advanced project management. Um, you know, when you're launching a, a, new, a new product or a new product line, uh, there's a lot of risk involved with that, especially if you're moving from one supplier to the next. So you have to have a robust system in place to do that. Um, the other thing would be having a, a very advanced quality system, um, something that uh, monitors uh, not only uh, the regular ISO type systems, but your own customer systems as well. What are some of the trends that you're witnessing uh, in terms of the, the metals industry and, you know, and, and differences that have happened over the last 10, 20 or so years in stamping, fabrication, welding, and machining? Well, um, obviously additive manufacturing is definitely playing a larger role. Um, I don't see additive manufacturing actually replacing fabrication or metal stamping. I see it as a complementary. Um, but I certainly feel that additive manufacturing um, is just in its beginning right now. And we're going to see uh, things made from additive manufacturing that we never even dreamt that could happen. Um, because of conventional manufacturing methods now, um, these are able to exploit. What the challenge is going to be is, is training the young engineers um, to understand not to think like the traditional way we've taught engineering. Uh, they're now allowed to open their mind and say, even though it could never happen, it can be done with additive manufacturing. Uh, where I, I'm, uh, the, the work that we're doing is um, we're calling the holy grail the 3D printed die. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been told that um, there, there are some applications uh, for 3D printed components within the tool, especially um, when you have a challenging type of, uh, of, of complex geometry, uh, the additive manufacturing can help that. Uh, currently, we're not using that, but we have talked to others that, that are, are working on it right now. And then another major trend in, you know, in uh, whatever you want to call it, Industry 4.0, smart factories, is that digital integration. Absolutely. We, um, we understand that, that that's where it's going. Um, we're definitely focused on manufacturing 4.0, and the Internet of Things is alive and real. Uh, cobalts are definitely what we're going to be looking at in the future, and obviously connectivity. Um, not only do we have to be connected internally to our own machines and our own processes, we have to be connected with our customers. So our customers need to know real-time inventories, they need to know real-time WIP, and real-time finished goods. Um, so connectivity is really where, where the digital age is going to be. And that really connects with what you're doing with just-in-time delivery. Because Absolutely. Um, of the, the transparency that's needed for that. Yes, and uh, they expect that now. That's, once again, another requirement that's come on board. So if you're not set up for that or you're not willing to participate in that, then you're going to end up getting swept under the rug. So in order to keep up with this, I mean, do you tap other support organizations or academic partnerships to uh, help with speeding that innovation? We do, and I think it's important just to, from a business standpoint to, uh, to work with your local, uh, local groups, um, especially since the resources are so close here in Columbus. Um, you know, we, uh, we work with uh, EWI often, um, obviously the Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and of course OMI. Um, all of those have been very, very beneficial. Um, 
Here next week, I'm meeting with Ohio State's uh, College of Engineering uh, with their integrated Lean Sigma uh, certification program. And uh, hopefully, I'll be working with some capstone uh, students and uh, helping them uh, help us you know, with some, some lean initiatives and a couple other ideas that I have. Along with new technologies and processes come higher level skills for workers. I mean, you mentioned the capstone, which trains students to work in these types of environments. Um, how do your, uh, your incumbent employees, how do they adapt to the, the changing landscape? Well, um, I think at, at in the beginning they were a little concerned because they, they weren't sure if that was going to have an effect on their jobs and are we going to be replaced by robots is what we heard. And I, and I truly think uh, educating and communicating uh, to the employees and understand that um, there's actually going to be more possibilities for them in a more technical role. Um, and with more technical, obviously, obviously comes with a more technical role is going to come uh, a better pay and better job security. Um, we're always still going to need to have people out there manufacturing components, but we're going to need people on a more technical skill. Um, well, let's let's shift to you. Would you talk a little bit about your career and how you got into this business? Um, sure. I um, I started my career when I got out of college uh, working at Rockwell here in Columbus uh, on the B-1 bomber program. Started off as a tooling engineer and then went into a structural uh, mechanic. Uh, from there I, I worked uh, at Superior Tool and Die as a tool and die maker. And then left uh, Superior and went to McDonnell Douglas and uh, worked on uh, numerous aircraft there. Um, then I decided to start another career here at Banner. Um, started off actually as a receiving inspector, and uh, but since I had knowledge in aerospace and tool and die, Banner was a good fit. Um, and um, over the course of 24 years, I worked my way up to president and CEO. Yes, here you are now. So it's been a very, very, very productive. What's Next for Banner Metals, you had uh, mentioned in an earlier conversation we had uh, an interest in pursuing work in the next generation of transportation options, including air taxis and Hyperloop. Uh, I read yesterday that the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology held a meeting billed as the first congressional hearing dedicated to the topic of flying cars. Well, they're alive and real, uh, I can assure you. Um, that's one nice thing about uh, my job. I can get to see the future a lot of times because uh, we're working on futuristic things. Um, uh, electronic uh, electrical vertical takeoff and land uh, is really what the, the, the term is for an air taxi. Um, we're currently working with Bell uh, right now, um, Aurora, which was recently purchased by Boeing, a company named Kitty Hawk, um, and um, Uber Elevate. Um, these things are, are not just a uh, concept, uh, they're actually being built and they're being tested. And uh, it won't be long before it's going to change the way we commute. Um, so I think that's um, uh, it's a new frontier for us that I'm excited to be part of. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of interest in this. Um, a lot of people are really coming uh, coming to coming together to work on this, and uh, we're looking forward to um, to seeing this. I, I think um, the younger generation is going to understand that this is how they drive and how they get around. Um, it's foreign uh, to my generation, but uh, uh, it's something that we'll adapt to and understand. I understand that Uber plans to begin testing vehicles in 2020 That's for correct. commercial use in 2023. That is a pretty advanced timeline. Yes, it is, and uh, they're, they're, they're on their way to do that. Uh, I think they're going to start this in Texas, and uh, we'll see how that goes. It'll make a lot of news. 
And, and given your um, your focus on uh, aerospace is one of the industries you serve, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, the the parts uh, that that are that the basics are there, but they might need to be adapted in some way. They are, um, the, especially the batteries. Uh, the batteries are the biggest challenge in this whole thing. Uh, they need quick charge uh, because when it's an air taxi. Uh, once they land on top of the buildings, they need to be charged in about five or ten minutes and reload and take off. Uh, as in any type of aircraft, uh, they're not generating revenue unless they're flying around, so they can't sit and wait. And I'm assuming the types of metals might change. That the there might be some composite metals that they're would have to you know, be lighter. They're definitely lighter um, and stronger, um, and um, they're they're still. Similar types of metals, but um, the newer stuff is coming on board, um, which is more of a challenge in, in the forming side of it. Um, but um, we're working with them very closely, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. Is there anything else I haven't asked that you would like to talk about? No, I'm good, really. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bronson, for coming on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.